Howdy, friends. This is Annie Fonte, and you are listening to the Badass Soul Seeking Warrior podcast. On each episode, I chat with a different guest and ask them to share their stories about what they were doing before they decided to redesign their life, what they're doing now, and how they navigated through the challenges and events in their life to get to where they are today. What realizations and transformations did they experience? What fears did they overcome? And ultimately, how did they create a life that they love? I'm really excited to have a chat with our guest today. Her name is Susie Frazier. She is a pioneering artist, author, entrepreneur, and TV personality whose innovative work has brought attention to Cleveland's art scene for over two decades. She is the author of Designing for Wellness, an inspirational book of practical tips for improving mental health through the decorative choice we make in our built environments. Her book is independently published and was the winner of a 2020 International Book Award, a 2020 Living Now Book Award, a 2020 Global eBook Award, and two Best Book Award recognitions. Most recently, Susie invented the MakerTown app, which is an innovative tool that helps Northeast Ohio consumers find and connect with over 500 local creators, artisans, and makers. In the past 22 years, Susie has created design solutions for prominent hotel, medical, and fitness organizations, which include the Cleveland Clinic, Hilton, Weston, and Kipton Hotels, Orange Theory, and Lululemon, to name just a few. Susie, thank you so much for joining me today and carving out some time to have a chat about this important um, vocation you have found yourself in for the past many years. Well, you know, thank you, Annie. It's weird. It's so funny when you talk about it like that and you look back at your life, the, the dots you connect, right, of, you know, your own sort of personal journey into wellness and how that plays out in your surprising choices of work. But yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting process and, um, you know, kind of was unaware about it for so long of why I do what I do. But now it's very crystal clear. Well, I want to talk about that today. So I want to talk, start with your art. And um, if yeah. you will, give us a little bit of a backstory. How did you choose to, be, to do the work you're doing to become an artist? What influenced you? Where, where, what was the starting point of all this? I'm so glad you asked that because even when you and I, you know, had originally touched base, um, there is a piece to this puzzle that, you know, makes a lot more sense now. But I've always been a creative person um, from the beginning, you know, early on illustrating and drawing and making gifts for Christmas. And even through high school and college, I was hired to do t-shirt designs for, you know, different events and parties. And I kind of found my way into entrepreneurship right after finishing college, because I just knew that was how I always had been doing things, even though I had worked for other people. Um, it really was the side hustle that was always there that became the common thread throughout my whole life. So I decided to just go in full force, but it was a matter of, okay, what? Because you're, you know, when you're a creative being, you sort of can do lots of things. And I, my background in, you know, education was actually in communication, not in art training. So a lot of everything I do is self-taught. And I ended up realizing that I just wanted to get back to building things with my hands and really touching and connecting with materials. So this is circa 1997 and uh, in Cleveland where I was living at the time, I ended up seeing this pile of slate on the side of an old century home and not being originally from there, you know, I, I'm from out west in Colorado. So I thought this was a really interesting collection of debris, but it was sort of like artifacts. And I realized very quickly, these are century old roofing slates. And this is very common out in the Midwest. This is how people, you know, covered their homes, but they had this gorgeous patina and holes in them for tacking into the roof. But I decided to grab a bunch of them and play with them. And I realized very quickly they could be broken up. I could make mosaic things out of them as long as I built some kind of wood substrate. So it was picture frames, clocks, tables, mirrors, you name it. And before I knew it, I was basically selling these things at pop-up markets and then doing trade shows around the country to wholesale buyers. 
and then you know realizing I needed my own studio. So you fast forward and I ended up having a big wet saw, almost two tons of slate I had collected that all had different colors in my studio. And I am on this wet saw cutting every day for like six hours a day. You know, I'm masked up, I have all the protective gear, but apparently um, the parts of my skin that were exposed, like my scalp, yeah. Um, you know, I had a whole ventilation system with an environmental group who'd built it for me. I mean, I was very careful. Um, but there are particulate dust particles that come out of any kind of stone when you cut it. And it's in now airborne state and it's microscopic. And of course, all stone, it has a certain degree of radioactivity in it. Yeah. So all of that dust, that particulate dust went right into the largest organ of my body, my skin. And over many months, I would go home from work exhausted, feeling really sick, headaches, not really sleeping well, kind of lost of appetite, um, just thought I was overworked. And then I finally got smart and tried to go to doctors. Nobody could figure it out. And eventually I went to a nutritionist yeah. who took a prick of my skin and my blood came out. He put it on a slide under a microscope. And then in real time, we're watching this on a monitor together. And he says, you know, normal blood cells are supposed to like float along like discs and I want you to see yours. And he turns the monitor to me and they are spiked and shaking. So it was this shock. And he said, this is free radical damage in your blood. You've either been eating fast food every day of your life or you work in a toxic environment. What, what do you do? And so at that point, it hit me very hard that I was playing with fire and I didn't know it. Yes. So had to go through this whole detox period and you know eat nothing but raw vegetables and healthy foods that could you know naturally antioxidize my blood and then i just went through this whole catharsis of i have to let go of this enterprise i can't even sell it to someone in good faith because of the health effects um so at that point i had that okay what do i do next and got healthy spent a lot of time taking walks in nature and lo and behold, you know, by being outdoors, by healing myself through the earth, and by doing the right thing to just listen, I stumbled upon a new medium working with natural materials from nature instead of geological materials from nature, you know, like the, the organic things that were more living. And as they were dried components on the ground, bark, leaves, twigs, it sort of allowed me to do a different kind of mosaics. And that was the beginning of the next era of my career. That is fascinating. And I have to tell you, unbeknownst to me, you were going to tell us that story because of this whole COVID thing. I've been doing so much research about our immune system and our uh, uh, bio um, system. And 70% of our immune health comes from our gut. And yeah, and you talking about, uh, you know, our gut really is our, our bio, bio, uh, bio system in our gut is really our connection to the earth. And totally. so you healed through nature and eating such a good, healthy diet to, to make the microbiome system in your body healthy again is fascinating to me. That's a, that's a conversation for another day. However, I want to continue on this. Mm -hmm. where you source your materials and spending time in nature and you started to become aware of the offerings of mother nature to your craft. So yeah. how do you uh, source your materials? Where do you get them? How do you go about collecting them? And what, what are you looking for when you're out walking around in the woods or wherever you go? Yeah. Well, it's a very, um, I take it very spiritually actually. You know, it's to me, it's first and foremost a grounding exercise. You know, I, one of the, the first principles of my book in terms of how do we take sort of the practices of what I've been doing for myself and my business and giving it to someone else as a tool that they can do for themselves is just having a biophilic connection to the environment around you. So I am spending a lot of time just observing, walking in the woods, laying down in the leaves next to logs, you know, rummaging under fallen trees to see what kind of fungus is growing. You know, it's, it's about being a student of nature. And what I find is that, um, you know, besides the fact that there's all 
this white paper research now that's proving, you know, you have these, there's so much more uh, like conductivity of electrons at the surface of the earth. And this is why we heal when we connect to nature is because those things filtering through our body actually become, you know, modulating our own systems inside. So it's a real simple like science piece, but the, the emotional and the spiritual piece for me is feeling it. You know, I actually walk through and go to these places and then I have, this sounds so crazy, but I, I really do feel like I'm having an intuitive conversation with the landscape. And what that means is that I'm first noticing. And so it starts with the visual system. You know, the kinds of things that I see may not be what the average person sees because I'm looking at the patterning that's within from sort of a, a blurred out perspective. I don't always look at the broad landscape and it's, it's more, you know, on the horizon line. I'm looking at, if you were to put a macro lens on the front of my face, you know, I'm looking for those repeating patterns that are sort of self-similar and the ones that are, you know, asymmetrical, but continue on and keep creating mesmerizing new patterns. So I basically taught myself how to notice fractals and, and those fractals are not always, you know, the quintessential spiral we read about, you know, in, in um, the shells or even the ferns. The fractals are things that can be in branch, you know, silhouettes when you look up at the sky, or it can be, you know, the, the fungal pattern that you notice on rocks that have been literally like embedded into the stone. Um, and then from there, I take lots of pictures. It's almost like this, this kind of field study. And then those things become my archive of inspiration. And sometimes I'll gather materials, like I'll actually use them in the art. And that's, you know, a different kind of conversation because it depends on the medium of what I'm doing. Right. You know, embed things in wax and in encaustic wax. And sometimes that tells a really special story. Other times I'm just referencing the patterns to create really large installations for these public, you know, places. And, and they all have the same benefits, which is so interesting. Yes. You know, well, like looking at these things can actually have that effect on the neurology because it's pleasing to our visual system. They actually have, you know, studies. There's this great physicist out there, Richard Taylor, who wrote a lot of uh, white paper research on, you know, the benefits of noticing and seeing fractal patterns in nature on the human body and on your wellness specifically. So mental health, physiological health. And it really was eye-opening because his recent research was more about, you don't always have to be actually in nature to realize those benefits, although that's like the most obvious and most practical way to do it. But just by looking at pictures or seeing these patterns in um, artwork, you can realize like reductions of anxiety at very high levels. Um, they studied these guys in space. They studied astronauts yeah. and had them look at pictures of fractals in nature of just patterns of branches and things like this. Even peripheral vision for like three seconds, they were able to monitor their biorhythms and find that they were relaxing because of that. It's amazing. It is, it is amazing. And, and so that just brings me to really highlight the importance of your work. And I'm curious because you do these installations into, we talked about it, hotels and medical facilities, uh, fitness facilities. How do you go about determining either through conversation or just in, in looking at the environment in, as a whole, how do you decide what types of art installations are best for those environments, a hotel or a medical facility or a, a corporate office of some sort? How do you go about that process? Well, I usually like to try to um, tie it to a sense of place, you know, their sense of place. So if it's in a setting that is already known for a certain type of flora or fauna, I, you know, kind of do my research and understand what's nearby, um, gathering those materials or, or photographing those materials, because it really, a lot of times properties, especially public, you know, commercial properties um, are usually about the business of tourism and travel. And so oftentimes they're really trying to define themselves uniquely from other markets. And that type of 
you know, definition of here's the things you see here, here's the feeling, the vibe of what this place holds for you is a powerful visual tool within their, you know, lobbies and things like that. Other times, if it's a private residence, um, I often, like I'm working on a project right now where, you know, the owner outright told me, I am so amazed by birch trees. Like they fascinate me. I love the part, the bark patterns, the color. And, you know, and so in talking with her about her lifestyle, where she likes to go, things she does, where she sees these birch trees. Um, so now I'm working on this big installation in the main, it's almost a lobby of her home because it's the entrance that everybody comes into, but it's got this giant wall that's 20 feet high and, you know, 15 or 18 feet wide that we're going to be doing a kind of modular interconnected installation of fragments of birch trees that have already been fallen. So it's going to be really interesting, but that's because that matters to her, you know? And so when you think about really art and its purpose, it's supposed to touch you in some way. It's supposed to feel like, you know, bring you a sense of meaning. And this is, this is the travesty of putting decals on walls and corporate offices. And I just want to like throw up about this kind of stuff because it really is soulless and it doesn't do anything to enhance the, the, the mood or the psyche of anybody in those places. It was just a quick solution design-wise for an architect to put something on a wall and say, here, we check the box. But, you know, when wellness design, which is kind of the field that I'm, I'm working in, you know, they're learning that these things on the walls, the art, you know, it, it should tie to the people, the culture, or have a story of some kind that really is personally um, it's narrative around that area or around something that the company stands for, because what they sound they've seen and found is that um, employees like to talk about it and they actually, you know, have a conversation piece or they, they have a different way of interpreting it that now becomes super special to them. So companies like Progressive have totally gotten it right. I don't know if you're familiar with Progressive Insurance. Sure. Yeah. They, um, you know, huge company, but one of the things that we all know here, because they're based in Cleveland, is they have um, a head curator of their entire art collection. And when I say this, you know, seriously, I mean it, that it's like a museum curator in that they're, they're thoughtful. They have a staff that actually rotates the art throughout their entire campus. They do openings and events and study sessions and you know, conversations around um, current events related to the wall features and the new exhibits that are on the building. So it's like this way to define the culture for the people who work there, gives them new ways to think about the world around them. It's awesome. So, you know, translating that into wellness design and public places, you know, it's, it's no longer acceptable to just put fringe prints on the wall and have no reason for it. Exactly. And that's a good thing because it has such a huge impact on our health and well-being. I love that it's called wellness design. Yeah, uh, great and what, what a timely, timely opportunity for us to have this conversation because for the past year, most of the world has been restricted to their homes. A lot of work environments were closed down for the safety and getting our arms around this virus. And so I'm curious now, I want to move to your book, because in your book, you give some design tips and processes that I could do, or that anyone who picks up your book could use. So what's, what's um, first of all, let's talk about what is biophilia, and um, how can the average Joe, like Annie, the average Annie out there, <laughs> use the, the tips in your book to make their environment, because they're working from home now, a lot of folks, and it's right. stressful because they're probably there with kids and spouses and animals that they're not used to being, and I, I want you to talk to us about the importance of your home environment where you're now working and how to make that a, a place where you feel calm and peaceful and it gives you good immune properties as well and helps you stay well instead of fall to the side of not taking good care of yourself. So can you talk about some of those? Absolutely. I mean, it's an important time. Um, and actually, I wrote my book in 2018, not knowing 
pandemic was around the corner. So um, it's really fortuitous, but the reality is, I think we've all been feeling the crunch, you know, of, of a kind of an overstressed society of not um, overstimulation, even in our home environments. so I talk a lot about, you know, the book is such an easy read. It's actually like literally it's this thin. <laughs> so you can quickly get through it and it's visual and really the main gist of the 15 principles that I outline start with bringing the outside inside and curating your home, becoming a curator of your home and of your life. And, you know, this is more than just, you know, declutterizing and and thinking about things in terms of just what looks good it's really becoming that sensory being that understands what feels good and not everybody wants to take that ownership like as if well i'm not creative i'm not an artist i would know no you know and you know by opening up your your senses and now observing because a lot of times it's just bringing awareness to it and and like oh yeah i don't need to put that tv in front of over the fireplace like yeah why do we do that why do we have the altar to the tv in our house it could be in a cabinet it could be hidden until we're ready to use it so really that connection to nature i mean you see all the plants in my room here this is my my sunroom it's where my desk is but these are super basic practices that even I grew up with in the seventies, right? My mom was just this nature creature and in LA, there are all these plants everywhere, but we have sort of forgotten this in modern urban life, right? We've, we've created all of these modern uber sleek settings with hard surfaces that look swanky, but really that has created more disconnect from the earth. And the, the job, I believe, of all of us to take responsibility for our own wellness is to find every way humanly possible to bring the earth back into our life. So whether it's through our actions of when we get outside, we actually go for walks in nature and you know take, take our time to be in those settings, even in your backyard. It doesn't have to be a special you know, public national park or anything, but then also what are the things that you're purchasing? What are the things that you're bringing in your home? I have literally, I have so much stuff here that's just from walks on, you know, outside. Like I put rocks in my home as part of my practice because it's amazing to touch. They conduct energy. You get grounded when you feel them, touch them and see them. So, you know, things like that, that kind of allow you to have earth made objects around you just to have there instead of all these man made plastics and other kinds of materials, rubbers. I, I really feel strongly that that curatorial sense is something anybody can do. And beyond that, then it's like taking that next layer or more of advanced level of looking at, okay, now how can I remove ourselves from the noise and you know that's one of the principles of you know the book that really talks about what kinds of things are you allowing in your environment sometimes I'm shocked to go into friends homes and you know I've had three kids so I know what it's like when you're raising a family Um, but the reality is you know you don't need to have your tv running at the same time as your radio while you're all in the kitchen trying to have dinner you know, there's really so much noise already. You can't even go to the gas station now without being advertised yes. while you're pumping your gas. Yes. Right? So, um, you know, looking at that is an opportunity to define the environment. What kind of space do you want your children growing up in? I had this amazing experience one time um, at a, I was giving a public talk and I, it was really to interior designers and architects to help them you know understand really this new field of wellness design where it's going and there was a person that had come up to me afterwards that said you know in your slides that you were showing i was so shocked when you went to that s- section where you were saying you know you don't have to fill up every wall with pictures and you had a, an image of a home that had stuff going on in every wall and he said you know, we're collectors. We've been collecting arts and craft, um, you know, artifacts and folk art for many, many years. And our, our home does have multiple colored walls, you know, because in that era, it was like a lot of olives and goldens. But he said, we have, you know, these walls that we love to show our collection, but we have a son with autism. Do you think that's affecting him? Uh. 
And I said, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I would assure you that just knowing with my own ADD and, you know, sort of where I live neurologically, that a better approach might be to, you know, show it sparingly and then rotate with collection, create some soft negative space, like the noise-free areas where he can be that yeah. do not have all that overstimulation. Cause that's, yeah. that's processing. A brain has to process that. Even right. if you hung it and you don't think about it anymore, those of us that have differently abled brains are always processing. So give us less to look at and now we feel more calm. I love that. I, I love nature. I grew up on a farm. I've spent a lot of time outside. I'm the one that will walk down to my riverbed and grab a tree branch and put some wool on it or some, some fun yes. moss or something. And that's a piece of art in my house. And for those who aren't as aware or in touch with nature, because 90% of Americans are Americans spend 90% of their time indoors. Right. And so how, how can we start? For instance, I think one way to start is just, grab a friend or grab yourself and your dog and go out in nature and start to notice when you approach a situation or a tree or a plant or a shrub that gives you a sense of peace or really is calming to you or be aware of when you walk into an environment and you just oh there's something about that environment that just really gives you this sense of embrace and that you're going to be okay and it's safe yeah. So is that what you would recommend to folks who have spent a lot of time in these really swanky, slick, high gloss environments? They, they probably aren't as aware of what soothes them because they're not practiced at it. So how can we be more practiced at it? You are, you hit the nail on the head, Annie. And you know, you and I grew up the same way, I think, you know, with just that sense of always being outside and, and we take it for granted that we have that, that earth wisdom, right? That, that innate knowing that these are things to look at and these are things to touch. These are at your disposal to, um, to glean and to feel the energy from it. Um, I do believe it's, it's about a practice. So, you know, if there was a way that we, and this is a huge reason why I wrote the book in a way that's not scientific, and, and really doesn't get too woo-woo and, you know, earthing. We be, I love these words because we live in that place, but the average person can find that to be strange to them. So really using very basic practices and very basic, basic terminology to just be outside more and actually then check in with yourself, feel what you are experiencing when that happens. Like here's a simple practice. Um, you know, take a blanket, go out into your favorite park or hiking trail and literally lay down on a rock or lay down on the moss. I do this all the time. I'm, and I'm sure you do too, because even like when you spend time with horses, like you have, you know, you kind of know, they know where the good places are to go when they're, yeah. when they're grazing. <laughs> so you kind of follow the animals and they know where all the good spots are. Um, so observing those deer paths and trails, like you can find these ex extraordinary places. And, you know, when you lay down in that, that I find is when you actually start to have the aha, because you see things from a different perspective, you know, laying right next to, like, there was this one beautiful, you know how deer, like everyone wonders where the hell do they go at night? Yeah. Right? Where are they? Are they like walking all night? No, not always. I stumbled on a on a hike one time into an open field of you know waving grass and from the roads these all look really normal it's like somebody's farmland or whatever but as I walked from the woods into this open field I came literally right into an area that had been matted down right in the middle and it was obviously a place where some deer were sleeping at night and that is a spot laying in something like that and then when you're on your side and looking at the grasses around you it is kind of a an extraordinary experience because you're now doing what artists do you take things from different perspectives and you look at you know the patterning differently you look at the colors in new ways the field isn't actually always golden yellow it's mm -hmm. actually a lot of shades of brown yes you know and green yeah. in the bottom so it's, it's sort of a practice of seeing the world differently, seeing the world through different eyes. So you're absolutely right about that. And then once that happens, a lot of things can change in the yeah. way you 
key things, right? In just everyday life. Yeah, and I think for our listeners out there, I would highly encourage and invite you to go on these walks in nature and put your cell phone down. Take it to take pictures of things that are interesting to you. Other than that, stay off of it. Don't be talking to a friend. Don't be texting. Don't be even listening to a YouTube of of anything. Be present in nature. And like you just said, Susie, if you see a rock that's really cool out there, pick it up, bring it home, put it on your desk or in your office, your work environment, because there's something about that rock that was attractive to you. And you know, go to the plant store and see if there's any plants that speak to you, that that you see a plant that's unusual or you like the coloring of it or something. Bring that home and put that in your environment. You may want to do some soy candles so you have that kind of, you create this ambiance for yourself to be in and it allows your whole system to find a regulated place where it feels safe and calm and it's then it's prepared and it's open to take in what the world's bringing you and you can yeah. be discerning that way you, your, yeah. your level of awareness goes up so you can discern all this these things all this noise that you talked about that's coming at you and then you yeah. can figure out where you want to put that because you, totally. it, you don't have to take it all in all the time you can be aware of it yeah. and say okay i'm not that's i'm not going to embrace that for right now yeah. Well, you know, I have to ask you really quick because you know you yeah. just touched on something. Um, you know, it's almost I, I was curious if you if you kind of have this Zen practicing kind of mind because you you said something just now that reminded me of of what my therapist, who is a Zen practitioner, but also a farmer from Indiana, and your belief system really almost seems to coincide with that that thought of letting things unfold also, right? There's this urgency we all have to take action all the time. You know, this has kind of been a learned behavior in our culture. And in nature, sometimes we find discoverable, glorifying, beautiful things by simply not doing anything about it. And, and a simple example is I moved into a new home and, you know, your first inclination is, God, I need to clean out all these weeds, get this garden ready. You know, there seems to be a lot of overgrowth going on here and you just go to town. And in the infinite wisdom of people like you and my therapist who are like, you know, sit some time too and just see what unfolds. It might be a good idea to save, like watch the season happen in your yard and see what grows and then do all the digging later. Do you know what I found, Annie, in this garden that was growing along this terrible fence that everybody had sort of forgotten? Passion flower. I didn't even know these things existed. Have you, you have to Google this after this call. Passion flower is the most extraordinary, like bizarre creature on earth, and it only blooms for like seven days. Wow. It grows like a weed, like a vine. And so, of course, you would normally be like, oh, what's this thing taking over? I'm going to rip it out. But because of that, and because of this thing of trying to practice this, this philosophy, it was an, it was an opportunity to be able to now be, you know, like having that newfound appreciation for nature and the process of things. It kind of taught me to slow down. Yeah, that's the thing. We have, we, we tend to, like you said, we're always in motion is being present is so important and really being where your feet are. That's what I call it. Be where your feet are. Don't be in the past because that's gone. That's, you know, and don't be in the future because that hasn't even happened yet. The only thing happening is right here, right now. So I say to myself often and my team that I work with, stay where your feet are. That, that, that will serve you well. And, um, that, that allows us that, also important awareness. It's kind of that pause we all could benefit from taking between stimulation and any kind of response to it. I think oftentimes we operate in life, ready, fire, aim. (laughs) You You already pulled the trigger. Let's just stop for a second and, you know, push the pause button and allow ourselves to be really present and aware with the environment we find ourselves in or the situation we find ourselves in. And then our response to that 
will be more appropriate. So great advice. I, I've been so guilty of that over the years. And, you know, to hear it come out of your mouth in such clear ways, it, it is that kind of your parents always saying, you need to slow down, you need to slow down. But really what you're talking about is just pause. Yeah. Yeah. Just take a little break. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you, I, in, in the research for our conversation today, I read the article that you wrote in Organic Spa Magazine, I think it was in May of last year, and yeah. you talk about the priorities to keep in mind when hanging your own biophilic art. The first one was to choose pieces that connect um, to you to a sense of place, which you spoke about earlier. The second one, and I want I you to expand on this a bit, if you will, you said to yeah. choose pieces that align with your core values. Yeah. My first question is, what if people say, what do you mean core values? I don't, I don't know what my values are. What, what, do, what are you talking about, core values? Okay. Well, you know, those are, those are big questions, right? And it often requires us to, to become the, the personal philosopher of who are we? What do we stand for? Where are we going? Why do we do what we do? You know, and if, if you haven't asked yourself those questions as an organization or as a person, as a human being, that's where you need to start. Yeah. Once you have those answers, it's really quite simple then. You know, there are companies out there that in the, oh gosh, even 15 years ago, 10 years ago, used to be all about, you know, we do actually stand for sustainability. We are that company that's helping the earth and we have created products that will you know, eliminate landfill waste. So this is our message. Well, now, you know, the practice of sustainability has sort of become a baseline for every operation at this point. It's sort of like you either live it or you're not, you know, practicing that. So it's sort of not something to talk about as much as it used to be, but that's one example. There are others where, you know, the core value could be that it's, you know, we care about uh, life work balance, live you know, work balance. Um, you know, companies sometimes have these corporate wellness programs, right, that are designed to, it, it's sort of a subset of their culture uh, strategy, creating a place that people enjoy working. And, um, but then over the years, this has become a very important topic, especially pre-pandemic, where people were really exhausted by the hours they were putting in and didn't feel like they were getting that, you know, experience of ever knowing how to relax because the work would come home with you or the emails would come through the middle of the night. And, you know, we all have choices with how we choose to respond to things, but, you know, culturally as a society, we've become workaholics and it's hard to know where to draw that line in the sand. If your company doesn't have that expectation that you should have, time off where you don't have to answer emails, then that's a pressure you don't need to feel. Um, so those core values can be carried out in, in ways with the, the things you do in the environment and the walls. I mean, some companies are even going as far as creating wellness rooms yeah. in, their, in their offices. And those are quiet spaces that are really cool. Some of them are designed very well, you know, where it's like a full lounge, like a lounge environment, dim lights, um, you know, you don't even bring in your electronics. It might have spa music, lots of plants, waterfalls, like, you know, little, um, you know, it's it just a moment of zen, really. And I think, you know, that's not, it seems kind of like trendy, but the truth is people do need a place to kind of meditate or recharge and, you know, now that we're all working from home a little bit, I wonder how that, that's going to change. Yeah. But, um, you know, the core value kind of premise is really then the items on your walls should reflect what you stand for. Mm -hmm. And so that way, when those employees come to work every day or you come into your home every day, you are being supported by your own um, important belief system. Right. So you're being validated by the positive, I mean, this is why just at the very basic level, all these, you know, signs that you see in homes, you know, we, I used to make mantra blocks that God, I've been making for 11 years. They'd say things like breathe or inspire or whatever. Now you see these things everywhere in printed form at every Joanne fabrics across the country. But you know, that's, that's a literary message that does resonate, but there are visual 
components that do resonate as well. And that's where I think companies and, and individuals should get clear. Um, you know, for me, like I, I love displaying artwork that has soft and soothing designs, mm -hmm. you know, that, that might have organic forms in its shape. It's not always my own art that I, you know, put up. This piece behind me on the wall, I don't know if you can see this. That's really cool. Oh my gosh, it's four different weavings of fabric that are made by my friend Rebecca Cross. And, you know, in Rebecca's work, she is literally stitching and re rebuilding, reweaving her own stories of loss and trauma. And to me, this is a visual example of how I'm reweaving my life every day. Yes. You know? yeah. And so this artwork tells me that when I see it every time I look at it, you know what I mean? Yeah, to, to really, like we talked about before the core value conversation is to take the time to take the time to pause and ask yourself the important questions. Get in touch with who you are from the inside out. What is your true essence? Uh, the, I, I live a very values-based life and I came up with my values by asking myself the question, what is most important to you in life? Right. Right. If, if we can all just simply sit with that question and answer it, not in a way we think others would think is really cool and groovy or that we think our mom or dad would want us to answer it or the neighbor or our workmate, but who do we, who do I, Annie, who do you, Susie, what is most important to me in life? And my number one value is integrity. Awesome. And integrity is so aligned with nature because talk about the ultimate integrity. It's truth. It happens Always. in front of us all the time. So I can certainly appreciate that. So that would be my one invitation to our listeners today. Sit with that question. What's most important to you in life? And then couple that answer with your nature walks and see what you start to come up with and see what you start to surround yourself with. That leads me to another question, Susie, because I think this is just as important to talk about as what we have been talking about. What are some things we, sh we ought not do when we're creating our environments? You talked earlier about we've made the TV the centerpiece of our living rooms. So I, in, my, in my book, that's a not. Um, oh. That may not be, I, I'm not, that, I don't do what you do, so I'm no expert, but I'm curious from, from your standpoint, what are the things we ought not do when we're creating these soothing environments for ourselves that are really based in the, the concept of nature and this biophilic um, world that you spoke about earlier? Well, I guess one of the benefits of, of waking up four years ago and realizing um, I did get a diagnosis of having ADHD and generalized anxiety, which I'd been living with all my life and didn't know, was that I finally had the aha, that's why my brain does what it does. And what it does is it's sort of like a canary in a coal mine. I go into any environment and I can immediately have a physiological reaction to it, good or bad. And, you know, over the years now, I've learned to recognize when I'm sensing that or feeling those things. And then I check in and like, what's happening here? And now I've kind of come up with in my head some criteria, you know, that to me feels, doesn't feel good. And here are the things that do feel good. Um, so if I can be sort of like the barometer for that sense, it's like having a, a sensitivity that you didn't necessarily want to have, but you kind of have. So now I feel like an obligation to share those, those things, those observations with others, because really many people don't have an awareness of this right. at all. And they don't realize what they're doing and, and the environments they're building are creating the actual opposite you know, effect of what they were intending. Doctor's offices are the absolute worst. Like, <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm baffled by um, even certain hospitals that I, you know, can't understand if you are a healing environment, why you would ever design some things like this. But hey, you know, we're looking also at fit plans and things that have to do with, tr you know, treatments that need to be taking place. So there's other factors to weigh in. But, you know, some of the most basic things that people can, can do is address the lighting. 
Okay, so we have these, these kinds of preconceived notions of I'm renovating my home and um, you kind of get told what to do by builders or people that have done it before. And a lot of times these are contractors. It doesn't really, they don't always have these sort of awareness sensibilities. So they're just kind of doing what they've always been doing. Um, and really what I find is people put so much overhead light in their, you know, can lights everywhere that they're creating a, a runway in their home. Right. If they don't, you know, the biggest crime is if they just don't put, if they don't put them on dimmers, you're like, no. Um, so dimmers on lights, if you have to have all those lights everywhere, just do that and you'll be in great shape because, you know, especially if you take certain sets of lights on different switches, because right. now you can create mood and environment that, that begs you to enter. Um, in my bedroom at home, I never ever use the overhead light. It's always the two ambient lights on either side of the bed. That's what's kind of operating on the switch. And, you know, they have no visible bulb. It's just a shade that glows and it's only a 25 watt bulb. And the reason is because I'm about to enter the sleep zone. I do not need to be like screamed at visually with light. So, you know, and there's so many articles on the different types of ranges of the light spectrum that you could go down that rabbit hole, but that's one simple thing. Um, another one of course is, is really about the visual noise. I kind of touched on it earlier as we were chatting, but um, you know, anyone who's sort of familiar with that old practice of feng shui might sort of feel like this is kind of related to that. Um, and, and even the minimalist movement has, has components of what I'm describing, but uh, there is a natural flow to all of life. And that flow, uh, it's a fascinating study if you really do look up, I mean, even in Wikipedia, you, there's like entries for what is flow and it's usually in gases and liquids throughout all of earth. And it's really where that flow has the least amount of turbulence is where things are the most smooth. So oftentimes the least amount of turbulence happens at the surface right. of anything. Mm -hmm. So if you are breaking that up with all kinds of other things, so you are now going to create turbulence because mm -hmm. the flow of air needs to go around that item. And so the same thing happens in a person's home and obviously you're gonna have furniture and you're going to need places to sit and enjoy yourself but I'm super mindful of making sure that the flow of things gives you opportunities to have moments where it's, it's, they call it laminar, where you can sit and be in the still space and not have a lot of clutter around you. Right. So those are the places I keep lots of little, I mean, I have literally three or four blankets in every room, a cuddle up blanket, you know, because you want these, these moments everywhere in your home that allow for a, a quiet reprieve from something else that might be happening down the hall. And, you know, a lot of times we create these spaces uh, visually and then nobody ever sits in them or ever goes there. It's probably because it's more for looks than it is for actual life. So, um, yeah, quieting the visual noise is another one. Um, I think the TV piece, I, I can't, you and I could probably have so much conversation about the TV piece, but you know, I have a funny story about that and I, I got to tell it because I feel like, you know, this gives you an, a sense of how it's all marketing of why our, co our country has become so obsessed with the television in the three ways of our room. But um, my former agent um, used to actually represent Ty Pennington um, from Trading Spaces and Ty, as you guys may know, is like this incredible TV personality. He was the one always cutting up the cool stuff for when the designers needed it to build in some of those sets. And he has this fabulous personality and a lot of good ideas himself. Well, Ty ended up teaming up with a electronics company, thanks to um, my agent's work, and you know became kind of an ambassador of, of the company. And really their genius in that relationship became um, an ad campaign for that company to promote TV sales. They had these beautiful big, you know, some of them were flat screen TVs that were just coming out new on the market. And so they wanted to drive sales up by leveraging 
Ty's personality and his brand. So the commercials ran something like, you know, every good home needs to have a television and it's, you know, and then it shows Ty like putting TV up on the wall in the middle of the living room as it's like the main thing. So this is sort of been the practice ever since. And, you know, nobody's questioned it. So I, I feel strongly against those things. I do love it when we can put a TV behind, like there's so many great tools out there, Annie, like, you know, artwork that actually has a frame behind it that mounts your television, goes to the wall, the artwork goes over it, and then it's a cabinet or it slides open or it has a clever door, you know. It's a concealing mechanism that shows beautiful something on the front. Yeah. So there's lots of ways to get around it, but. That's great. I think the other thing that I notice and I, I want our audience to probably um, take note themselves is those things, those chotskis, all the things we surround ourselves with have energy. And oh. as we have this conversation about awareness, when you walk by your junk drawer, you feel <laughs> You, you feel the energy of that junk drawer. Next time you walk by your junk drawer, anybody listening, pay attention to that. Be or you walk into probably every morning, if you can actually fit your car in your garage, because it doesn't have so much other stuff in it. But the, the area that your car doesn't sit, there's a lot of stuff in it that has energy. And yeah. it's, it's not high, vi high vibrating energy. It's very low vibrating energy. It's very slow and heavy and it makes you look and feel ugh, sluggish. So to, yeah. as you're out in nature, when things give you high vibrating energy, take note of that. What is that? Those are the kinds of things we want to surround ourselves with. And so those are all great tips that you just talked with us about. Thanks for sharing those. I have two final questions for you. One is what, could I have asked you that I didn't because I just didn't know that I should? Well, I'll tell you if it, if it matters to discuss it just briefly, I think um, we'll go there. But the thought of really mental health yep. and the epidemic in our country of everyone suffering quietly with their own issues and, you know, 42 million people have, live with anxiety and those are just the people who are diagnosed formally. Like they've gone to a doctor and they've determined that this is what's happening. Most people don't get help. And so it is the elephant in the room. And it is the reason I wrote my book because, you know, in, in full disclosure, you know, I was already going through so much in my personal life with raising three kids with my ex-husband. Um, a lot of this became the forefront of why can't you handle all of this? Why can't this life be something you can manage? And, you know, it over time ended up being the thing that destroyed us. And by not having a real conversation about, you know, the conditions people live with, they may not have a physical handicap that you can see, but neurologically, this is a differently abled being. And we need to create accommodations for that in order for everyone in this family to thrive. Yeah. And so, you know, when we don't have honest conversations about what those kinds of conditions are that we're really facing, it gets swept under the carpet or, you know, we find ways to sort of, you know, you, you know, create euphemisms around it so that it doesn't actually have to be dealt with. Yes. And so, you know, by writing this book, it was more of a, um, it was a coming out for me in a way to say, you know, listen, is real. I now know that this is what I've been living with. And, you know, it has certain benefits that I can share in just in my things I've learned and how I cope. If it can help someone else, great. But I'm no longer going to make mental health be this taboo topic that that isn't something we can openly discuss as a, as a society, as a family, because, you know, it's not that big of a deal. People live with it. We all adapt. We move on. You know, it's just like living with anything else. You, you find your healthy foods, your good sleep, you know, you need to talk with someone. Okay, great. Some people need to go on meds. No problem. Like it's just to be able to address it head on and, and say, we are actually going to have you part of the conversation for how this space should be created or how we should be living as a lifestyle, as a family or as an organization. Um, 
you know, it now becomes inclusive of all beings, of all able brains. And um, I think it makes for a richer environment, a richer society. We're no longer on autopilot, thank God, because we can listen to what people need. I, I love that you brought that up. Thank you for doing that. And I, I think it's a good reminder, once again, to anyone listening or watching to this conversation today is check in with people. Check in with yourself first, because you've got to get honest about how you are feeling in from the inside out. And then ask your kids, how are you doing? And really sit down and put your phone down and turn the TVs and the radios and the things that you talked about. Find a quiet corner, give them a blanket and grab a cup of tea or whatever makes you happy. Some good wa water with lemon juice in it. And ask the question and sit and listen. And, yeah. and allow that person to, sometimes it's not easy with kids. They, they hide their emotion or they layer on top of it things that make it a little more difficult to excavate down to where the, they're really having challenges. The suicide rate of young folks in our country has risen drastically over the past year, given that they're not in school and socializing as they should. That to me is, criminal. That should not be happening. And I think a lot of relationships untether because they're not willing or they don't take the time to have those really open, honest, vulnerable conversations about, hey, how are you doing? Yeah. And I would also add to this, Annie, that we need to make space for imperfections. We need to make space for the, the you know, the yin to the yang. We're always trying to seek you know, high performance, perfection in everything that we do, and this output level that has, you know, quality, when really there is, nature teaches us this, that there is the evolution of everything. There's the growth and there's the decay. And the decay is just as important Absolutely. as growth. Yeah. And, you know, by learning anything from nature at all, this is the part where I have learned to accept myself. And, you know, thankfully I'm surrounded by people now in my life who, see those parts of me as beautiful. It's not a detriment to anyone that I might need downtime or that there's this part of me that can sometimes get sad. You know, there are ways that we should hold space for all of it and allow it to unfold without trying to manipulate to a desired effect. Right. Once we do that, I think a lot of people will feel more comfortable in their own skin. Yeah, and I, I think that is such a beautiful point is to give yourself and others grace. Yes. Give yourself the grace and the permission to meet yourself where you are. Give other people the grace and the permission to be who they are. And to, to stop labeling that in some way. It's not good. It's not bad. It's not right. It's not wrong. It just is. Yep. And we're going to take what is, and we're going to have the appropriate conversation about how we can take the current what is to a higher level of being and thriving and existing versus being so caught up in the narrative of the hustle, the bustle, the noise. You got to do this. You got to do that. It's, and I think social media is great in a lot of ways, but in, in some ways it, it has been detrimental because we're living in this environment where what you see isn't real. That's, That's right. not the truth. So I think coupled with giving yourself grace and meeting yourself where you are, as well as others, is really holding our feet to the fire about telling the truth about life. Yes. Tell the truth. We can handle the truth. What we can't handle is hiding the truth or exaggerating the truth because that catches up to us eventually for real and then that that can result in some not productive things happening so thank you for sharing that and uh i've loved this conversation we're gonna have to swing around and have another conversation i think because i i, I want to be respectful of your time but i want to know what's next for you do you have some new art things you're working on or i know you have yeah. the Makers app that you just recently created what do you have something else up your sleeve yeah, no, the MakerTown app is really the big thing that is, you know, when I'm not working on the artwork for the clients, I'm, I'm developing this app in a way that is really designed to help create connections between consumers who are needing certain things for their lifestyle and the makers who handcraft all types of goods for that. 
So um, in my local market, there's about 600 or so makers that do everything from furniture and jewelry, wall art, wellness products, beauty care, fashion, you know, things for pets, you name it. And we've been sort of cut off from our marketplace because of the pandemic. Right. Everybody shifted and tried to do a lot more online when they couldn't have those pop-up events. But, you know, it hasn't completely come back in full circle and many businesses have gone under as a result and just had to go on and find different jobs. But, you know, I'm a huge fan of entrepreneurship and an advocate of maker uh, community, maker culture, maker lifestyle. I've been doing it for 20 so I had a TV show called Movers and Makers with Susie Frazier. So like I, I live it, I believe it 100%. And I know that it is a billion dollar economy nationally and globally. So with the app, we anticipate that not only will it serve our first market of Cleveland, but we're moving into Columbus and eventually Pittsburgh and Detroit soon to include makers in those markets and hopefully get more consumers to see who's there because Part of it is just finding out who's there. It's a directory app and, and by helping them figure out who they might want to shop with, it's like a discovery tool. So and, and it's still- so in, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I live here in San Diego. Can I go get the MakerTown app? And mm -hmm. if I see an artist in Ohio somewhere that I love what they're doing, can I, that, does it take me to their website and I can order things? Totally. Okay, totally. so yeah. No where you are in the country, you can go to, is it in the uh, App Store? Yeah, it's in both the Apple and the Google Play App Stores. And right now, it'll take you right into the market of Cleveland, Northeast Ohio. But eventually, it'll be sort of like any of these other apps that you have to first select the region you're interested in. Got it. You know? And then kind of like, you know, a weather app, you can toggle and go to different regions. Like if you're traveling later and you want to see what's in Charleston, you hit that one. But um, at this point, it's really just in our region right now, but yeah, we would love that more eyeballs looking at the, the things that uh, the makers here and then yes, the app is, it's su super interactive. It teaches you like all the things that are available in your area. Um, but ultimately it links you to the makers existing websites. So whether that's on Etsy or Amazon or anywhere else, their own pages, it's it's really more of a concierge to get you to, you know, find things that you normally wouldn't find. And honestly, you know how you are when you're at outdoor markets, you're not really, it's not like a Google search where you're typing in an actual word, a search term, because you know you want to buy a planter. You know, when you're at an art, outdoor art mart or a, a, a pop-up market, it's sort of this stumble upon experience. Right. That's how a lot of the makers make money. It's just that somebody saw something and was, they were inspired enough to buy. So this kind of creates that stumble upon interface, but on a mobile app. I love it. I think one of your superpowers among many is that you're a connector. That's a great you know, way. Yeah. It's yeah. funny you should say that. I think so. I feel that way sometimes like a conduit. Yeah, exactly. I literally went into my basement the other night in the dark to, to go into this bathroom and I reached up to pull the, you know, this is one of those old Pittsburgh toilets. <laughs> you know, kind of bathroom. And I touched the light bulb and it, it illuminated. Have wow. you ever had this happen? Inter like, I haven't had it happen, but that was a lot of good energy. Touching it, but yeah, it's like, you know, fluorescent bulbs have that thing. If you're like a, you know, human beings connect and, sure. and conduct energy. So anyway, that is a very nice compliment. Thank you. I feel you're that. Welcome. Well, so I'm going to put in the show notes for all of our listeners, I'm going to put the MakerTown app. I'm going to put your book, Designing for Wellness. Now, I know they can get this at your website. Is this also in bookstores and Amazon? Yes. It's at Amazon. I believe it's still at Barnes & Noble, too. But yeah, my website, suzyfraser.com. Either way, you'll find it. You can Google it. It'll come right up. Um, but thank you. I appreciate that, Annie. Yeah, and I'll tell our listeners, too. I spent a lot of time yesterday on Susie's website. It's beautiful. All, if, if you do nothing else to soothe yourself, go to Susie's website and look at the artwork she's developed, look in her shop, look at the articles she's written and the installation she's done. It's just, it, your blog's beautiful and it speaks to many of the things we had a conversation about today. So start there. That's a, that's a beautiful place to start. I'll put that in the show notes as well. And yes, please do yourself a favor. Start with Susie's website and start to embrace this idea that we can design our own wellness and uh, how we 
put things in our environment and what they are makes a huge difference in how we are as humans and our health and well-being. So I love it. Thanks so much, Susie. I appreciate your time today. We'll have to do um, podcast number two as a follow-up because I've really enjoyed this. I would love that. And you're such a joy to talk with. It's, I feel so grateful that you reached out to me. It's good to know you. Likewise. And um, for all of our listeners, have a kick-ass day. Keep your ass in the saddle and we will see you again soon. Take care. That's a wrap on this episode of the Badass Soul Seeking Warrior podcast, where we focus on creating a life that we love. And until we meet again, stay true and be you.